Once upon a time, in a faraway village, there lived a dungeoneer named Josh Karam and a gatherer, Aaron Thompson. And with their combined powers, they were able to make a podcast so nerdy, it was the envy of the whole kingdom. It was the Dungeons and Gatherers Podcast. Welcome to the podcast that you might know as the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. The envy of, I don't know what kingdom it would be. Would it be like... Uh, Spotify. The kingdom of Spotify. <laughs> and Apple Podcast. So lately, Aaron has been DMing their own campaign. And yeah. we've, we've been talking about it a lot on the podcast. And I've been DMing for quite a while. We talk constantly about the home games that sadly none of you ever get to listen to mm. oh speaking of which just to keep you all up to date i'm thinking about now i might uh just play a wizard in our next home game campaign oh do the liam o'brien transition from rogue to wizard interesting so we're playing critical role just we're taking those steps yes exactly are you ready for campaign four then you'll play a fighter never okay then <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to be careful with that one then. But Battlemaster though. They Battlemaster. I would play a Battlemaster. I love that. Fun things. That was like a good one they wrote in the Yeah. Um, I know. know. One of the good ones that have still held on from the player's handbook. You know, I gotta be completely real. I, I played an arcane archer once for the Waterdeep campaign setting. Mm -hmm. And like I just remember like playing and I'm like, Oh, this is gonna be super awesome. And then I started doing combat with it and I'm like this isn't that fun. Oh, no. Like, it's not as powerful as I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a little lackluster for what I want. Like, the leg. It is the Legolas subclass. Right. To be. Definitely. It's sort of billed to me like the um the like the long range version of an eldritch knight. Oh, definitely. The eldritch knight's very like I have a sword and also spells, but this oh, is but like I got magic arrows, it's and just it just doesn't quite seem to deliver. Cause like the thing for me is like. As the Eldritch Knight, because as all of you know, that's a campaign you're able to listen to. The ah, Ravnica campaign. I play an yes. Eldritch Knight. And I find, like, Zizia's ability to cast spells is, like, endless. Like, I could constantly shoot off fireballs and shocking grasps, and that's the damage I need. Like, that's perfectly fine mm -hmm. to extra attack off of that. But with the Arcane Archer, it is, like, the Hawkeye joke. I ran out of arrows. I can't do anything. Right. Yeah. Like, I could shoot wimpy arrows, but there goes all my trick arrows. Like, mm -hmm. I'm done after that. And it's a little, like, lackluster when you shoot off your... At third level, I think you get, like, two magic arrows, and that's it. It's just, like, not a... It's not enough. It's exactly. not enough to, like, warrant, you know, it being its own whole subclass, which is unfortunate. Anywho, we're already yeah. off topic. We uh, are. But it, it came from us talking about the characters that we play in campaigns and, you know, right. things that we're talking about possibly playing. So a big thing that I think we've been dying to really dive into on the podcast is creating the campaign. Yeah. And since both of us are actively creating homebrew campaigns, what do we use? What do we like from other people? It's just a big, nice fireside chat again about creating a campaign. Take off your boots. <laughs> No, we already did that intro. Never mind. I was don't. about to say, we, we're talking about improv. We can't recycle the same material if we're right, improv. Right, you're right, you're right. We've got to stop it there. So I think we should first start by Aaron. I know yes. we don't want to, like, reveal any spoilers to your players mm -hmm. by any Yeah, if you're a chance. player, stop listening. 
But what did you do creating your campaign? What were the steps that you took? So I watched a lot of YouTube videos about how to make a campaign. Very um, good. I think world building is a separate podcast for like a future date. But one of the biggest things I did when making this campaign was establishing the world. And I've talked a little bit before about like, I use World Anvil, just the free version right now, but they have a lot of really great questions they can ask about like the meta of your world and like what themes do you want to deal with? And you know, like what, what is like, if this was like a novel, right? To some extent you have to think about it like, um, like some sort of literary work, right? Where mm. you're like, what kinds of struggles are my players going to come up against? You know, yeah. what's the, what are some of the central questions that I'm looking to explore? And I think that to me made things make a lot more sense than being like, well, I know they're going to fight a dragon at level seven, which could also happen. And I mean, those are, those are the important things to have because it is very hard to like, you just create a world and then you put these like three wimpy adventurers in mm-hmm. and it's like, good luck. Yeah, find something wild. to do. There's yeah. shit out there, yeah. Like, no, there there needs to be, like, the bullet points of, like, any good story that you write. Like, mm-hmm. these are things that will probably happen in the story. It's just the players get to decide when and how they do. Right. And I think it's totally fine to build your campaign arc knowing, like, not necessarily knowing what your, like, what you don't even have to know what your big bad evil guy is, right? You don't need to know what your final boss fight is to end the campaign, but I think it's important to have some ideas as to like potential villains, you know, potential yes. things that could. Admittedly, when I started DMing Ravnica, I had no idea what um like our big climax would be. And it's still sort of up in the air, but now I have a really I think I have a good idea as to what it will be. It depends on where the next couple episodes go. If we go in a very different direction, I'll sort of change gears, but I think I have a solid plan. And I think that's awesome that you are willing to change the concept of who the villain could be. Because I think it's very easy for when you're writing out your campaign, you're like, oh, this is a great concept for the villain. And then you're just glued to that. But maybe that's mm-hmm. not what the players feel. Like, I remember when I was running Amira, our home campaign. Uh. And this this one <laughs> this especially. mysterious home campaign. Yeah, this mysterious home campaign. Uh, basically, just to give, like, little details so everyone can kind of get the picture here. Um, we've been running it for over 40 episodes now. I wasn't confident of who, like, the main bad in my mind was going to be until maybe, like, episode, like, 20, 29 or, like, 30 or something. Wow, that was not long ago. <laughs> I know, right? But like, then it finally clicked with me. I'm like, this is the way the campaign's going. I think this will make a good big bad. I'm just gonna, because we have it pulled up, you know? I'm just gonna say, page six yes. of the Dungeon Master's Guide says, know your players. Mm-hmm. So like, you can make your whole, I think it's a bit foolish to plan out your whole campaign before you even have a session with your players, you know? Yes. Like, even if you know what their char- what they say their characters are going to be, quote-unquote, until you, like, see them interact with the world and see, like, what they care about and, like, what ruffles their feathers, then you won't know how to make a really convincing villain that they're going to feel compelled to defeat, you know? It's also, like, maybe not every campaign needs to end with a specific villain. You know, there are some adventures where, like, I'm thinking about, like, an Out of the Abyss. Like, the it's a very, like, man versus environment thing, mm. right? 
I feel like I'm back in like high school English class, but it's like <laughs> the villain is the environment. It's the underdark, you know, and that takes so many facets, but not one specific creature is really like the evil guy, you know? Definitely. And you have page six pulled up here of the Dungeon Master Guide. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to say that D&D, as much as we bash it for like certain elements and praise it for certain elements, like if you wanted to run a campaign, as they see here, like exploring or Uh. investigating, those don't necessarily mean like it's the bad guy, like there's an evil person. Like exploring could simply be there's this beautiful gem within this long-lost temple of a jungle, and the party is desperate to find it, and then it's like you have to find all these other artifacts. Mm-hmm. Like, you're almost just Indiana Joneses at that point. Right. And I know there's I mean, always a I villain, but still. Yeah. I would love to play, like, an exploration campaign. That, I mean, that's sort of like what Dungeons & Dragons, I feel like, is at its core. What do you think about, like, dungeon delving, you know? Yeah. But if you do it specifically, like, in the Indiana Jones way, that's like, we're learning history, we're going through ruins, we're, like finding clues and putting pieces together and it doesn't even need to be like for treasure or for power or to save the world it could just be like i'm imagining you play as like a group of archaeologists you know and like this is just your day job and you go and you explore yeah totally and i like honestly i sorry now i'm like thinking about like i would love to run a campaign where everyone just curators from a museum (sighs) that go on on quests Mm -hmm. and then we do the uh the Da, 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 as they travel across the map. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's true. Like, you don't have to just have, like, there's Big Bad. That's all that it's about. The campaign is over once you have killed the Big Bad. Because mm-hmm. then you need something compelling enough. And that's that goes back to the main point there, right? Like, communicate with your players on what are they wanting to play here and make sure that they're involved in the stakes of the world, whether it's the villain, whether it's recovering the long-lost gem of the deep, dangerous jungle, whatever the heck it is. Like, intertwine with the, right. with the campaign. Maybe one of your characters has, like, a starving family and they just really need a big break, you know, so they're willing to take a very risky job into these uncharted ruins to try and make a fortune, you know, on some archaeological discovery. And I always have this feeling, and I hope that other people feel this way too when they play with me. Even when I run a one-shot, I always love to give the character in the end that one little epilogue scene where their involvement in the world meant something to them. Like, they get their little, like, and here's where they are now story beat. Like, no matter how small of something you're running is, you want to make sure the player afterwards is like, there is something that has changed in me after this has been accomplished. I'm not still Mm -hmm. searching for a certain thing. Something in my life as a character has been completed. Right. I've checked off a box. Yes, And I I actually think this is sort of where we differ in that, like, I'm totally fine to be like, let's have a non-canon episode where we Hmm. just, like, hang out and do whatever you know like suddenly all of our characters are like we're at the beach you know or we're in like a on top of a mountain doing something whatever and just like just because i like to like play as that character and like we sort of did that with like no we didn't even when i was like let's do a christmas themed one shot you know like a holiday one shot we invented shingle star um you still wrapped it into like the actual campaign like, it was, like, a real, we all had, like, a collective dream, and we saved, you know, Shingle Star, and then Topher Crinkleneck, 
uh, gave us all gifts. So we got cool magic items at the end of it that like we still use. I can't help myself, Aaron. I mean, I, it, I it <laughs> is, it's fun and it's rewarding and it means that everything is on the table all the time, you know? Yeah. Which is cool. And, you know, I guess it doesn't have to always be as big as, like, here are the magical items. This was such a huge quest in your development as characters. It could be things as simple as, like, I remember running the Price of Beauty one shot, and I had one of my best friends, McKenna, playing in it. And she played this young little rogue. And then there was this guy who was there, too, a one-armed uh, dragonborn. And by the end of it, like his character really attached to her character and was like, hey, if you ever need, like, a guild to go to at any point, feel free to come here at some point. I'm like, it could just even be something as small as Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, something to make it feel like, this is also probably why all of your one-shots end with, man, we should play these characters again. Maybe that's why. because, like, you you (laughs) make people feel invested in, like, even this, like, little arc that they have. It makes you think, like, this is, we're just seeing a snapshot of these characters' lives, you know? And, like, you think, like, about what they're doing after the camera cuts. Which, to bring it back around to campaign planning, I think it's really important, something we talked about, too, with running political campaigns, and that even when the camera's not rolling, the world is still being lived in, right? So it's important to have, like, aside from whatever your main plot line is, I think that side plot lines and side quests make the world much more legitimate and, like, you know, real and make it seem like an interesting thing. And also that way you're not just like, it's like when you play Skyrim and you exclusively do the main quest line the whole way through. Mm. <laughs> and it's just like, not, it's not, not as fun, you know? And you're actually not as powerful as you need to be by the end if you exclusively do the main quest line. So it's like, very good point. You need those little side journeys. And there's nothing more than I love than being like, all right, our main quest has taken us to this location, but turns out when we get there, like there's shit going on that prevents us from getting what we need until we solve this other problem, you know? That way you can do like a little mini thing. I think, you know, it's funny that you say Skyrim because, you know, the D&D guide recommends that you have, you know, think about religious systems, government systems, and even guilds within the world. Just things to kind of like simplify in your mind, like, oh, this guild is turning... This, like, imagine if you just built a campaign and there was, like, five main factions. Mm-hmm. Like, it's pretty simple, like, as a DM and, like, good advice to, like, kind of keep, like, okay, what are those five factions doing in the world right now? And just right. constantly, like, think about what is the next step that they take. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting that you bring up the fact that, like, you need to do the side quests in Skyrim so you could defeat the big bad. When I'm playing D&D, it's hard for me sometimes to differentiate the side quests from the campaign because it just feels so like it's like that fun side episode that still feels important to me. Right. Well, I think it's too probably because you have that like overarching view of like what we do here, even though it doesn't directly work towards our goal, indirectly does. You know, hmm. like the skills that we gain and like the allies we make, you know, whatever the resources that we accrue are all going to help us down the road to finish what we need to do. Or they'll hurt us. You know, it's either like. It's one of those, like, if you botch your side quest and you make some enemies, like, that will affect, you know, those people might align themselves with, you know, your big bad, and then you have to fight them later. You know, like, Hmm. these are things that can happen. Sorry, no, I'm like, my brain is going crazy because now it makes me want to build, like, 75 new campaigns. Mm -hmm. Like, because... 
let's. I want to give a round of applause to D and D quickly. And I know that we run a podcast about D and D, so no shit. Yes. That's what I want to do. But mm-hmm. like, there's so much that you really gotta like talk with your players about things, and then build like because I think it's so common to fall on the trope of. You all meet in a tavern. Which I love. And you go on an Every adventure. Every Ravnica episode, we go to a bar. You That's know. true. <laughs> That's true. And, like, again, sorry. Nothing nothing wrong with that, of course. Like, that is a right. fine way to start a campaign. Like, I love the way Ravnica starts. Personally, for me, my campaigns don't ever start in a bar. Which I, I think is I just fine. try to avoid that personally. But, like, D&D, the book, the Dungeon Master Guide, has given, like, so many, like, great opportunities to try different things. So, like... When you're building your campaign, think about the ways that it can start and the things that can ignite, too. Because, like, one mm-hmm. of the cool things they have in the book, on page 79, there's a whole D100 table about oh, yes. framing events, which is oh. a really cool way to start a campaign. Like, you're mm-hmm. all framed for something, and that, like, already puts you, like, in a case where you have to be pushed together. So that's the two things I have, right? Those are two important things about building a campaign. Number one, where are all the players in the beginning? Two, how do they get together? And three, what's something that glues them together for now? Right. Because it's fine if they're not all buddy-buddy at the beginning, but there has to be pretty early on something that's convincing them to be together, Mm -hmm. at least to, like, travel to the next town or something. For the more that people work together, even if they're forced to in the beginning eventually they'll start to develop a team dynamic, right? This is one of the things we talked about with Ravnica. Like, there's a reason that, like, the four of you have to work together. Like, yes. simply, like, you get a job at first, and then all of a sudden, that you like, all four of you don't remember that night, you know, and there's, like, weird shit happening. So you sort of bonded together and, like, well, I guess we have to get to the bottom of this for our own sake. And I know looking at this table, I don't like to do, um, like, festivals. I've started not enough a festival like, person? episodes. I mean, I love a festival. I, I always used to start my one-offs with, like, you're at the Harvest Clothes Festival, you know, which is, like, a very, like, Neverwinter Nights thing. But, yeah, I just, I think it's overdone for me. And it, I'm definitely down to, like, throw in a festival midway in a campaign. But it, I, I don't think I could start there again. <laughs> well, also, festival is such, like, a... Uh... A high energy, so There's much is going, going on. on at the yeah, exactly. That's the big focused. problem. Because yeah. I, I think campaign two, we did. It started with a festival yeah, it was like happening. a circus. Yes, it was a big yeah. circus because the festival was happening of a newly appointed leader in a country, or sorry, new appointed leader in a council. And like the thing that I remember now, and I look back on through my notes, I'm like, oh wow, I wrote a lot of shit down. Because I had so much going on in one area that would involve other people from other countries in that one area. But, mm-hmm. like, that didn't really matter because that's not what was needed yet. We didn't need right. all the development of people. But, like, you never know, you know? Like, like we could have shown up. Also, like, the reason, part of the reason we picked this, like, there's a big performance circus thing. is like, because two of us were in the circus, you know? So, like, that made sense. Similar that's to, like, point. the beginning of... Critical Role campaign too, you know, like hey. some of them are in the circus, so there's a circus. Hey, um, you know, not a bad thing. Uh, have your inspirations. Have your inspirations. Yeah, ha- have your inspirations, your folks. Luckily, our our circus event went a lot smoother than theirs. Yes, significantly. So, but um, you never know if we're gonna show up and be like, I'd like to schmooze with some foreign dignitaries. You know, like I could have rolled up in episode one and said that, and then we would have had a drastically different day. 
And so I think at least when you're planning your first session, you want to control as many variables as possible, but also give your players enough opportunities to show you what they're interested in. And, you know, it's funny because that could have almost turned into a framing event as well, now that I think about it, mm -hmm. at the beginning of the campaign. Because at the beginning of the campaign, there's a sword they treasure in this um, temple. And then when you saved Hadrian, the sword was gone. Right. So there could have very oh, yeah. easily so, been like So a, we could be like thieves. <laughs> yeah, like what the fuck did you do to the sword? And being, no offense, but to the general eye of the world, being circus performers, you know, mm -hmm. the, the clergy you know, might have been like, oh, yeah. of course they stole it. Yeah, those charlatans. That could have been a whole thing. We could have been on the lamb. I mean, we definitely did like break in there and like have like an all out slug out fight, you know, with someone. Yeah, so, Aaron, I have a question for you then. Yes. Now, we talked about this when we had Eli on. We talked mm -hmm. about railroading and, like, the free roam uh, and the balance yes. between the two. So mm -hmm. how about for the people that are creating a campaign out there, what is our balance at the beginning of having that railroad versus free form? Because we know at, like, the very start of a campaign, you don't want it to be too open because mm -hmm. you're just starting out. Right. I would say... It's always easier to take off sort of like the bumpers than it is to put them on later. So, mm. yeah, especially because like with my group of players, they're all like first timers, you know. So I sort of wanted to give them something structured where they knew exactly what they had to do. And I also presented them with some options and I asked them what they wanted to do. Right. Yeah. So I think. I don't think it's ever a bad idea to give your players a clear goal, you know? I think that the path they take to get to that goal should be one that they sort of discover or decide for themselves. Yes. But they should know what they're doing and why they're doing it. Totally. Yeah, so, like, very good point of, like, you have to gauge the experience of your players first. Like, mm -hmm. understand how they'll feel. Will they be like, oh, we're back in D&D, &D, good, I have a better grasp on it, or it's like... It's, like, still the questions of, like, how do I do this in the game? Like, I don't even know how this mm -hmm. mechanic works. I can't even think about, like, making a decision that big yet. I think, like, it's totally fine to use what video games do, where you have, like, the prologue mission. Oh, like the tutorial? Yeah. Yeah, because, like, it's almost like, okay, you get to learn something, mm -hmm. and then you break out into the world. You need to learn what the world is. You're, you're new to this world... Unless you're lucky like me and you've gone to run two campaigns in the same world. Ah. But you're new to this world and you have to figure that out. And I want, I want to talk about that later, of course. But, yeah. yeah, if I could only add one more thing to, like, the railroading at the beginning versus, Please. like, the freedom. It was your question. Feel free to answer it all. Why, thank you, Aaron. I mm -hmm. think that it's not a bad idea to have an NPC at the beginning. Like, an NPC that could help push the party in a direction. Mm -hmm. Because they are a bunch of people that, like, you know, most likely their characters probably won't get along. Like, they won't maybe have the same goal or anything. Mm -hmm. Like, just throw an NPC in the world that, like, is almost like the, the spring or the, um, what the heck do you shoot a basketball at? The backboard. Oh, the backboard. Yeah, like, <laughs> they're just the backboard. Wow. Hey, can you tell that we're music theater people? <laughs> what do you shoot the basketball at? Jesus what's the, what's the What do you call that? <laughs> So when you play sports ball and you shoot the sports yeah. ball at the backboard, you just want that player to be there as almost like the guide to the very beginning mm -hmm. or that character in the tutorial mission that then disappears. Yes. Like, you know, or, they're just there yeah, to show you. Yeah, they literally the disappear in a puff of smoke. Yeah, they're there to just show you the ropes of the world. Yeah. So that's, that's my thing. I also think that for, like, first-time role players, 
it can be easier to for each of your PCs to roleplay with you as the DM because they're already used to you like narrating and like you probably built their character with them. Like they sort of have like some you've got some trust built up, hopefully. So they're more likely to roleplay with you than they are with each other, right? Yeah. Because you're like a known quantity. Um, and everybody else around that table is like, who are you? What's going on? What do you, everyone's trying to figure it out. Totally. Exactly. And it, it just feels natural because, you know, you're mm. narrating the world and then you just come in as a character. This is also like something I did was like my, fr- I did a very similar thing where I rolled up an NPC and I was like, she'll be someone that like knows some things. So if they have questions, I built a knowledge cleric because obviously <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, she knows a lot of things about the world. So if they have questions, she can do like lore dumps or she's also incredibly devout. And my campaign setting deals with my own pantheon of gods and like mm. asks a lot of questions about power and divinity. So I was like, she's a perfect intro for me to sort of like set the scene as to like what kinds of questions are stirring in this world. You know, like it took some of my players that were not really engaging with that and like made them become invested and interested in what the gods of my world were like because there was this npc that like sort of led by example definitely and they as players and as people they don't live in the worlds that we create Mm-mm. like there needs no. to be someone who shows those steps at the beginning of like right. here's what you need to know adventures mm-hmm. here's where you, you are. can get this deep into it yeah so honestly i think that goes into something that's very important is making sure that not all your NPCs have to be, you know, detailed and, like, very thought Mm-mm. out. You just need to have, like, certain ideas of the NPCs that are going to exist in right. your world. I already told you about the story. I don't know if I said it on the podcast yet, but I did a, uh, a, a drop-in on the campaign, and, like, one of oh, the players yeah. died immediately in the first mm-hmm. session. And I was like, holy shit. I'm like, the I don't want to do Ashley that. Ashley Birch. Yeah, don't want that to happen. Like, I, literally, we almost all just TPK'd in the first session, which would have mm-hmm. been amazing, of course. You know, I want to point love to the Dungeon Master Guide one more time here. Of course. That, um, they actually have a really fun thing about creating a non-player character. Because I think the cool thing is, like, even if it's... I used to run into this problem all the time. I would design my characters way too in-depth. Even if you went mm-hmm. into a bar and met a random person, I would try to make, like, this huge character out of them oh yeah and sometimes it's really fun but also for dms or people that are new looking into that that's unbelievably exhausting mm-hmm. so a fun little tip is just like flip through pages 89 to 91 and there's like simple things like give them features mm-hmm. or talk about something that you think would be their highest ability like if they're very strong they're like a brawny person maybe missing a couple teeth mm-hmm. like you don't need a really like thought out character but that just helps make the world a little better and i know that's more building the world than uh, building the campaign but since we're just talking about npcs it came to mind right yeah i just want to shout out to the npc talents table because i've never considered that but like when you're chilling out in the bar you know wouldn't it be funny to be like so what do you do here and the guy's like i'm the juggler you know because like you roll a 17 the npc is an expert juggler i think that's awesome (laughs) i don't know i I like the one that i'm really good at rock skipping i'm like a great fucking rock you bring me out to that lake outside rock skipper (laughs) hey let's go outside let's go to the pond i'll show you how to skip some rocks oh my god what a fucking great encounter like you piss off like the strong dude at the bar and he's like we're settling this outside and then yeah. like he just pulls out a rock and there's a lake and he just starts yeah skipping. he's like we're skipping rocks you're go <laughs> 
That's a new NPC. I'm totally building that. Oh, into please a world. do. Yeah, also, that's... like, if I run into a juggler, like, I want to try and juggle. Yeah. You know? I mean, like, can my D and D character juggle? It's it's cute to give like an NPC something they're good at, mm-hmm. because every everyone in this world is good at something. You know, Aww, <laughs> even if it's rock so skipping. Sweet. Even if it's rock skipping. I made like a really shitty um, fishing village in my town or in my world just now because I needed like a harbor to get across a lake, you know? Yeah. And there's like, I literally, I came up with it on the spot and it was the funniest thing and I I loved it. I called the place Fishmouth, which is spelled Fishmouth. And it's truly only run by like possibly the same old man who just like wears different colored shirts for each of his different jobs that's shoe (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's like that guy yeah and he's just like a funny old dude you know and it was just like the whole town was a big joke i named the inn the wet saltine you know not everything has to be this like super legitimate like high fantasy like you can throw in a couple quirky things and i think your players will thank you for it because it brings some levity you know and then then the minute that your player understands like, oh, this character is like a joke. If it takes some pressure off the whole interaction of being like, oh, this is a full-fledged individual, you know? The memes of Dungeons and Dragons of the expectation versus reality is so true. And it's also having fun, right? Because that's why we play this game. We don't yes. play to like live high fantasy to I'm very not, yeah, serious. Yeah, I'm not playing remark. like a, a reality simulator, you know. Exactly, <laughs> it's a fantasy world. Right. We want to live the fantasy Have some of funny it. Funny little fish towns, you know. Go to Fishmouth. You're talking about like the fun NPCs and the fun lands, you know, like a Fishmouth, which I would I would love to go. Yeah, come point, come on down to Fishmouth. Thank you. I, I, which I'll also take sounds the like Christmas, but with a lisp. Fishmouth? Very Fishmish, everybody. <laughs> Uh, there's also, you know, bad NPC involvement, and it's yes. something to watch out for. I remember playing a campaign once, and there was an NPC that, like, came to our party and, like, asked us this huge question. And, like, all of us looked around at the table, and we were like, we don't know. Like, wh- why are you wh- why are you forcing? Like, the thing that you got to avoid is, like, forcing an idea on somebody too hard mm-hmm. through an NPC. The NPCs are just there to, like, lightly push the adventurers. They're not there to, like, stick their face into mud of, like, plot. Right. It's all, like, little corrections, you know? Yes. They can sort of direct your NPCs like the wind, you know? Not like a gale. You're not, like, tidal wave blowing your adventurers into, you know, the moral discussions you want to have. Yeah. However, if an NPC is getting, like, who has, like, a high authority is getting pushed around by the player too much... You feel free to, you know, like yes. show the power of the NPC. Oh, for That's sure. Not, it goes, it, it's the other way, yeah. Uh-huh. Everything exists in a balance. Sometimes I feel like people are like, listen to your players, do what your players want too much. But like, it's also the Dungeon Master's game too, right? Yeah. Like everyone here at the table has an equal say in what goes on. Listen to your DM players. I'm, yeah. I'm, all you players out there that just want to do what you want to do, fuck you. <laughs> Well, I mean, it comes down to the fact of, like, if you're running a campaign and they're in the beginning town and you allow, like, the players almost, like, to easily bully through all, like, the Mm -hmm. legislature of the town, like, you could have fun doing that, but then you realize, like, the power is unchecked. Like, you need to make right. sure that, like, they understand where they are within the world and, like, that where they're That leads to, at. like, murder hoboism. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. You you simply must. Um, yeah. 
crack the whip now and again at at lower levels especially like when you're not very skilled when you're not very powerful you know like no one's going to respect you so that's something that and then then when you do get to do that at higher levels it feels earned you know Hmm. You could go That's back something to I the run town. into a lot is that like I forget that I'm like level three all the time um, yes. with most of my characters. And so I just so I have a tendency to run my mouth because I'm like, yo, I've got two levels worth of spells. I'm feeling hardcore. And n- no, I have and like 20 a, hit points. A vampire yeah. lord chokes you out and drains. Part yeah, of your exactly. Life yeah. Sometimes it has to happen. One of my favorite moments. I, I hate to say that because it makes me sound like a bully, but one of my favorite. No, moments I loved it. Played a it was great. Lord I think it's important. Yeah, it's important to know that like we're all here to play a game together, right? So like you can't be a shithead. Like no one gets to be a shithead. The DM can't be a shithead. The players yes. can't be a shithead. You be know? nice. There's sort of be like friends. an agreement that's like I won't horrendously railroad you if you don't actively derail and like dunk on everything that I do. You know. Exactly. Like, take my story seriously and, like, and I'll, you know, like, pay it back to you. Two points off of that. Because I first got to say, like, how amazing is it? Because that happened, uh, the vampire draining Aaron's character's energy was the first campaign we ever played. Mm-hmm. And, like, the concept is that vampire lord drained your character's energy. But in the end, you all killed that vampire lord. Yeah. Like, that's really fun to see that growth. It's like mm-hmm. going back to a town and you're like, check me out now. I'm fucking yeah. a buff yes, barbarian. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm huge now. Yeah. But it's also funny, like, taking seriously enough, right? Like, taking it seriously enough. Because I remember, like, I had this whole monologue prepped once. And then, like, I was going through it, and, like, Rachel started laughing, and I'm like, you're right, this is ridiculous. Like, this is ridiculous, this villain takes himself way too seriously. All right, or that we would all just sit here, because we, I think, was that in campaign two? I don't remember. I think it might have been in campaign one, actually. It's hard to know. It's Either hard, way, yeah. we're all a bit irreverent, and yes. um, I know that Ariadne is not the kind of person to sit around and let someone monologue. Yeah. That also might just be me as a player, too. It's like, don't be running your mouth. I'm always the one that, that'll be like, I attack him. You know, like like mid-monologue, like, I will start a fight just so this person shuts up. And it's yeah. not because I hate your monologues, Josh. It's just because you make me feel spicy. That's what that's what it's all about. I mean, it's the balance, right? Isn't it's... that the point of the monologue, too, is to, like, you know, create emotional tension? Yeah. I think, I mean, why else do people love villain monologues? I think that's, mm-hmm. like, the big thing. It's like, uh, ah, now you're here and allow me to reveal myself. This yeah, is my exactly. true plan. Now let's fight. One of my favorite moments from our campaign, too, it was, like, pretty early. And it was just, like, a random encounter check. We ran into, like, a couple agents, one of which was, like, a sorcerer that later turned into a demon, right? Yeah. And he was, like, going on this monologue, and I just remember saying, like, I was going to ask you for what your name was, but I realized I don't care, and you won't live long enough for it to matter. Boom. And then, like, and then I attacked him. Boom! <laughs> and I just, like, that was great. That was a moment where I felt like I had agency, and I, I did what I what my character would have done. Yeah, and don't it was let, fun. Don't, I mean, like, literally, it's so funny to imagine, like, the villain monologue is happening, and everyone's just standing still. It's a very Hollywood mm-hmm. thought of it. Like, everything stops so this villain could just say this thing. Like, yeah, if you feel the need to freaking go in and slice, like, it makes sense, you know? Let's see. I almost think, like, villains monologue because, you know, they feel like they have the luxury to do so in that moment, right? Yeah. And so it, it does make sense whenever, like, 
you know, all of the adventurers are paralyzed. You know, if they all get hit with like a big yes. like hold person, then you're at the villain's mercy and they can monologue and do whatever they want for as long as they want, you know, as long yeah. as their hold persists. So totally. it's like if you're going to have a dramatic moment like that and you don't want your players to like jump the gun and fight you, then you have to be able to incapacitate them in some way and then also don't be upset whenever they try and overcome that because that just means that you set up a problem that they engaged with and that sounds like good storytelling to me yeah you can't you can't put them into a world where like you're doing the monologue and they're like well i do this it's like no 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 let me finish i need mm-hmm. like you you have to understand they're playing the game too they like if there's a villain right. in front of them they want to freaking attack the villain mm-hmm. like they I don't want to hang around him yeah like, do the thing where, like, he's talking in their head and you can't see the villain yet or something. Like, mm-hmm. even that's oh, simple. Oh, those are you know? always cool, yeah. Yeah, just let him uh, invade the mines like, uh, you know, so many Rakdos sorcerers like to do. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yes, very true. I'm kidding. Uh, Rachel doesn't invade the minds of my enemies. Yes, she, she does. Invades, she invades the yes, minds of does. you. Yes, she does. She reads my mind all the time. Yeah, exactly. It's frustrating. <laughs> it's so funny. I love it. But um, since we're talking about Amir, there was just one more point that I wanted to bring up about uh, creating a campaign mm-hmm. through that. Yes, please. I've had the privilege to be friends with the group of people that I play Aww. for a very long time. So I've gotten to run two campaigns and soon a third campaign within the same world. Mm-hmm. And I think there is this super cool thing where you create the campaign. I remember it's almost three years ago now. That's, that's oh, weird. God. It's still like two and a half, I think, right now, mm-hmm. technically. Yes. Like, I remember thinking back on building it and, like, trying to incorporate the characters into the world, and which we already taught to such a great point. And then I remember, like, when Campaign 2 was happening, I'm like, we already got the world. Mm-hmm. This is so much fun. Everybody knows the world, so we can just easily create a character, and we know the ties that they already have. And that's, like, so fun when you've created a campaign that involves the characters from, like, different characters from the world. But the world can be still so rich for new characters when they come mm-hmm. in because you've played in that world. And that's just, right. oh, so good. You don't so got to tell me. I love it. Yeah. I remember building Ariadne and you were like, all right, we're going to take a 50-year time jump. Um, same world, same continent, you know, like. And, like, I was like cool i want to directly engage with our old campaign like the whole time yeah because i think that that's so cool like to see how things have changed you know and to and to interact because like my character now ariadne hates my old character or at least used to right Mm. so like i think that's it's like cool to have those bonds and then to get to come back and like play our old characters in like super powerful forms, you know, and like have them be like older and wiser and like have done shit with their lives. Yeah. I think it's, it's so exciting and so, and so rewarding. And you're right. So much of that world building has art. Like it's just being put to even better use. And now we get to explore parts of the world that we never got to in the first campaign, you know? Exactly. There's a, there's a whole world to explore. So if you find the group that you love, and you're like afraid that you're not gonna get to everything. The world can still exist, like mm-hmm. you, unless you blow it up. Well, you, there's still things you can do even if you blow it up. Your world right. is always there. You can keep coming back and playing in your world as much as you want to. So to bring it back around, yeah, because now I guess we are getting to the end of our we second are. campaign, which is so sad. So like when you set out to plan your campaigns, you know, like what are what are some like tips and tricks that you used? 
whenever you're deciding like your narrative arc the like the where you go and what you do and like especially when you're building up these like almost seemingly world ending threats you know yeah. like where does that all talk to me about your process Josh talk about the process and I think it's nice because what we could do is we could like bullet point all of this you know so like mm-hmm. if people are like I forgot everything they said they could listen to the end of the episode now and they get their they get their bullet points of everything that they should be working towards the, the first thing that I do is I look at structures within the world I don't think of it as much as, like, the continent and, like, who is everyone in the continent. I think about big powers in the world. Mm, like what political th- structures. Yes. What are things that will actually change the course of things? Not like a bandit troop that attacks. Like, that's such mm-hmm. a minor thing. Like, what would change the entire world? Because inevitably, what everybody wants to do is save the world or affect the world. They don't want to just, right. like, change the town. They want to. What's that song that's like, everybody wants to rule the world. So yeah, that. higher tears for fears is your bard. That's, that's step <laughs> number two. That's that's always important. So, yeah, no, mm-hmm. no. But the, the, the number one step is think of the forces that will change the world. Because if your players don't, they will. So those mm-hmm. are like the best way to find antagonists for me. Find the oh. big players in the world. I love that. I, I just had that realization. It was like, if I don't do something, other people will. Yeah. And I don't like that. That was my, that was like the last, our last episode, Ariadne like committed to saving the world, not because it's the right thing to do, but because she doesn't want to live in the world that they're going to make. Yeah. And that like covers the other bullet point is find how the world turns around your players. Like that is an easy way to figure out the big players and that like gets set in your mind. Other very important things that we've already talked about is make sure your players are involved in the world and mm-hmm. whatever those big forces are. At least, I would say, like, the majority of your players have some tie to that force. And whether it is something as simple or something as complicated as you are the lost long, the long lost bloodline from that one mm-hmm. place, or it's even as simple as, like, I don't like that person. Like, there was a guard from his kingdom once who, like, pushed me around, and I just want, like, a bloodlust against the entire mm-hmm. fucking um, authoritarian structure there. Right. Or, like, I'm always just, like, a down-with-the-power type, you know? So, yeah. like, up with up with the people. And, like, so that's really easy to make me do anything that's, like, oh, tear down this regime. I'm, like, I would love to. I think, like, lastly, for, like, a big tip going into, and since we're talking about, like, the big bad that exists or, like, the forces that move it, I think that a very important thing to do is if you're planning on playing for a while, allow the players to explore for a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, give for exploration because you want to make sure that they're making decisions based on their characters evolving in the world and what they have seen and who they agree with. Because it's very hard to, like, drop them in immediately and it's like, here's three different kingdoms who all have the power to take over the rest of the world. You choose one right now. Mm-hmm. And you side with them. It's like, oh, no, I, I can't do that. I don't know anything about right. like, any yeah. of them. Really. See which ones your players gravitate towards, which ones they like and which ones they don't. And then that reminds me of like, because there's sort of like this political system happening in the country that Ariadne is from, the Peter Isles, right, which we never got to go to in campaign one, where there were three factions, you know, that were all vying for power. And then one of the factions got destroyed, you know? So like, like these things just they happen and i think that that's really and it was ironically the faction that we hadn't engaged with at all that just like got wiped off the board so i always sort of laugh because like, you ran into tidied him once. up you ran into him once like you saw him in Rajinto once he was like walking around and oh, he like right. said something to one of you 
And like in my mind, I was like, maybe you'll see him again. But then you guys made a choice to go somewhere else, and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, then never mind. Like I, I nope. gotta, I gotta He's move gone. this along. Yeah. Consequences. Don't be afraid to have really nice rewards for people, but also mm-hmm. consequences if they don't go a certain way. Because right. and it's not like crippling consequence against them. Like you don't want to make it miserable. And I'm just like, this happened in another part of the world. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everything's moving. And I don't think that throwing complications or barriers between your players and their goals is necessarily a bad thing. So, like, if you're going into the ruins looking for something, and even if... uh, This is something I struggle with, is, like, they roll really well on an investigation check, but, like, the thing that they're looking for is, like, three floors down. Like, they Mm. won't find it in this room, even if they turn it upside down, you know? Just because you roll well doesn't mean that it has to happen if it doesn't make sense, like, like physically, like, location-wise, you know? Totally. So, I know, which is funny because, like, that's almost bordering on, like, natural 20 territory again. I was I, I was thinking it, and I was like, should I bring up that that's, like, the nat 20 discussion again? I mean, it's only fitting, you know? It is, like, our one year. Yeah, we've, we're past the we're past the point. We could talk about it yeah. again. It's been one year <laughs> since that episode's We'll get out. back we'll get around to it. We'll do a, a nat 20 revise. A nat 20 review. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a reflection on our Nat 20 <laughs> opinions. That would be a really I've been funny thinking, yeah. I've been thinking about the Nat 20. But yeah, no. I, so I hope that this has given people out there who maybe have never run before or people who love running campaigns who want a new flair mm-hmm. any bit of insight. Uh, yeah, just a little us. bit of another perspective. Also, message us with anything that you do in your campaigns yeah. when it comes to prep. Because as you know, since Aaron and I have this podcast just so we could talk to each other we like talking to people about this shit Mm -hmm. it's really fun yeah Yeah. i know the time flew on this one i know i'm sad now me too but don't worry even though this chapter has concluded there are plenty of chapters ahead if you like and subscribe to the dungeons and gatherers podcast there and back again in aaron's team (laughs) 